And today we start at the very beginning. Our gospel reading comes to us from the gospel according to Luke, chapter 1, and is known as the Magnificat, or the Song of Mary. And Mary said, My soul magnifies the Lord, and my spirit rejoices in God my Savior. For he has looked with favor on the lowliness of his servant. Surely from now on all generations will call me blessed, for the Mighty One has done great things for me, and holy is his name. His mercy is for those who fear him from generation to generation. He has shown strength with his arms. He has scattered the proud in the thoughts of their hearts. He has brought down the powerful from their thrones. He has lifted up the hungry with good things and sent the rich away empty. He has helped his servant Israel in remembrance of his mercy according to the promise he made to our ancestors, to Abraham and to his descendants forever. This, friends, is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. So one of the habits I developed as a clergy person was putting my Christmas tree up, ironically, in the middle of November, uh, before things got too busy to even put the tree up. So you think clergy would be the most rigid about when you put trees up and when to start listening to Christmas music, but since December was quite the working month in a local congregation, uh, I took the time to put the tree up earlier. And this also meant, for me at least, I do tend to listen to the holiday music a little longer than others. And what I've learned when you speak with people is you learn a lot about their way of viewing the world and uh, their family by their favorite Christmas hymn or song. For me, my favorite Christmas song is kind of an odd one. Uh, it comes from Dolly Parton from a musical she was in with, um, with a big cast in 1982. And it's called Hard Candy Christmas. Have any of you ever heard of this song? So in this song, Dolly Parton is basically singing about her own childhood. Where in the life growing up in rural Appalachia, they didn't have enough money to buy cakes and fancy desserts for Christmas. But they had enough money for hard candy as a special, as a special treat for them. The lyrics go like this. Maybe I'll dye my hair, maybe I'll move somewhere, maybe I'll get a car. Maybe I'll drive so far that I'll lose track, but me, I'll bounce right back. Maybe I'll sleep real late, maybe I'll lose some weight. Maybe I'll clear my junk. Maybe I'll just be fine and dandy. Lord, it's like a hard candy Christmas. I'm barely getting through tomorrow, but still I won't let sorrow bring me way down. This reminds me of the Magnificat insofar as she is manifesting and practicing a promise. Dolly Parton, is, Dolly Parton in this movie and in this song is doing what I call a manifesto or a mantra of hope. I'm barely getting through tomorrow, but still I won't let sorrow bring me way down. We turn to our scripture passage this morning. We're in chapter 1 of the gospel according to Luke, and we run into Mary's Magnificat. And we have to remember about where the Magnificat is placed in Scripture, is it's in the middle of this very confusing first chapter of Luke. Jesus is not born yet, but what we have is a series of prophecies and songs 
about both John the Baptist and Jesus. And it's a dance of sort of the wonder of what will be these promises and these stories. But we remember that Mary sings this in a time of fear and desperation. Mary is an unmarried woman, a teenager, in a patriarchal world who finds out that she's going to be pregnant and that something cosmic and very strange is happening both to her and to her elderly cousin Elizabeth. In the time of Mary and Elizabeth, we must remember the way we see God today is this benevolent UCC, you know, congregational God of love and joy and smiles is not how they understood the God in the ancient Near East, especially when God is being anthropomorphic like in our passage here. God is doing some pretty scary things at the beginning of Luke. Unlike our modern Christian understanding of God as all peace and joy, God was understood in this moment of Mary as pretty terrifying and unpredictable. God's actions with humans could be pretty scary, and Mary should be fearful. In the context of her time, Mary should not only be scared about what is unfolding in the cosmic realm, but also what humans might do to her. Because she is unmarried and she's pregnant, she could be exiled from her family, she could easily lose her fiancé, Joseph, which means that she's in real, real peril of a life of total poverty, if not worse. And yet Mary stands up and we hear her voice for the first time at the very beginning of Luke in this song, this Magnificat. I actually think the Magnificat is kind of a, uh, if you would call it a manifesto of joy or a mantra of hope. Mary is perhaps the bravest person in the story of Jesus. When we need a model of bravery in a scary world and in unprecedented times, going back to Mary's Magnificat as our starting place for bravery is probably a wonderful place to begin. We are now living in times and facing a political and cultural year ahead, 2024, that will require Christians to re-examine the story of Mary and to rediscover the spiritual practice of bravery, to practice bravery in community. And we need Mary to show us the way. We need this Mary the brave, not just Mary the mother of Jesus. She's so much more than that. She's Mary the bravest of all Christians in the early Bible. Chapter 1 of Luke in the Advent days of practicing for Christmas, we're reminded that the faith journey starts with great bravery in the face of a world of challenges and dangers. Sort of like, that's why I think of Mary, when I think of Mary's Magnificat, I think of that song from Dolly Parton. I'm barely getting through tomorrow, but I will not let sorrow bring me way down. A manifesto. The core strength of a Christian life is really not just hope and peace and joy and love, but a core strength. One of the first strengths we see in the Bible is the core strength of bravery. And we need to hear this again before we start 2024. This week I was meeting with our lead communications director at Yale Divinity School, where I am the associate director for alumni engagement. So we're starting to plan what we call an editorial plan uh, for the coming year, for sort of what stories we're going to release when and how we're going to try and engage the public. And my colleagues stopped talking in the middle of this plan as we kind of got towards November. 
2024. He got suddenly very quiet, and he almost turned pale and held his eye, his hand in his hand, his head in his hands. And then he looked down at the floor, and he said, "You know, Jake, 2024 is going to be a really hard year." He had a premonition. We're going to need to find ways to communicate hope and, and joy still to the Christian community. That's what divinity schools, theology schools, and churches do, right? He was talking about the growing wars around the world with no signs of ending. The political fear and rhetoric that we're starting to see ramp up again. The politics, the dangers. And we agreed in that conversation that Theological institutions, churches, but also theology schools need to be places that are generate, generating practices of bravery and practices of joy. We need our own Magnificats, each of us. I told you what I think is Dolly Parton's Magnificat, and we've read Mary's Magnificat. Magnificat, in my thinking, is a combination of a mantra and a manifesto. A mantra being something we repeat to ourselves until it becomes true, right? Did Mary believe all of this? Or was she just saying, this is what I have to believe. This is the bravery I need to manifest. And a, and a manifesto is a document outlining what we will do and what we believe. So a Magnificat is a mantra and a manifesto. Are you rehearsing your Magnificat? Are you practicing bravery and joy in preparation for what might be ahead. This week, the Harvard Business Review released an article that really transformed my perspective. It was really, really good. And it's, go it's called, You Need to Practice Being Your Future Self. You Need to Practice Being Your Future Self. It's kind of an obvious title, but you think about it. This, uh, this article is written from an emotional intelligence perspective. That in order to be successful, you need to step away from your checklists and spend time preparing yourself for who you want to be. How much time are you spending practicing being the person you want to become? It's an interesting question. Or a community you want to become. Here's where the article goes. And this is relevant to our practice of joy and our practice of bravery as we each need to write our own Magnificat in preparation for the year to come. If you want to be productive, the first question you need to ask yourself is, who do I want to be? Another question is, where do I want to go? Chances are that the answers to these questions represent growth in some direction as we face a new year. And while you can't spend all your time pursuing these objectives, you certainly won't get there if you don't spend any of your time pursuing them. If you want to be a writer, well, you have to spend time writing. If you want to be a sales manager, you can't just sell. You have to develop management skills. If you want to launch a new product or a new ministry, in our context, or lead a new group, you have to spend time planning and building your skills and experience. Here's the key. You need to spend more time on the future, even when it feels like there are really important things to do in the present. And even when there's no immediately, apparently good return for the practice. In other words, and this is the hard part, if you want to be productive, you need to spend time doing things that feel ridiculously 
unproductive. So practicing joy, thinking about your manifesto of joy, or when you need to be brave, you might not need to be brave today on this beautiful rainy day in Fairfield, but you need to start practicing in your mind and heart how you will be when bravery is needed in the coming year. Whether it's a courageous conversation with a neighbor who puts a yard sign out that you need to discuss with them, or it's some other moment in town council here in Fairfield or in your own personal lives or families, well, you will need to be brave in 2024. So you might as well start practicing the bravery of Mary and coming up with your own Magnificat. Now, the word brave has a fascinating etymology. Does everyone, anyone else like etymology? The study of the root of words? So we, when we figure out what a word came from, we actually understand a little bit more about what we are actually saying when we use the word. So the word brave comes to us from a Latin root, barbarous, same root as barbaric, or, but it comes from the word meaning wild or natural in Latin. So to be brave is to be wild. Did you know that? It's pretty cool. So to be, to be brave is to reclaim the wildness to go against the main flow of society or the main flow of a thought. To go against the things that are tamed and always correct. To be brave is to not let the world, the expectations, and the rules get in the way of what you know it means to be alive. Or to let the trappings and the customs go once in a while and do what really needs to get done. By calling Mary brave in her joy, we are saying that Mary had a wild and untamed relationship with joy that helped her be sustained. There's a wonderful writer uh, who was trained by the Hartford International University for Religion and Peace. Her name is Lindsay Paris Lopez. She's a contributor uh, to several like, online resources for Christians, Christian Century, and also um, Pathios, which is sort of a mainline Protestant blog. And she reflects on Mary's Magnificat this way. She calls it rejoicing in the midst of vulnerability. And she says, My soul magnifies the Lord, young Mary said, and the fear had passed. The message that had come to her in solitude is that she would bear a son. And it started to confuse her. How could it be? She was a teenager, barely of childbearing age, still unmarried and pregnant in a patriarchal culture, in an occupied land and a volatile time where tensions were high. She could expect to be shamed, shunned, perhaps deserted by her fiancé and cast away by society. So brave outside of the norms, out in the wild. There was no place for an unwed mother or her child in that world. It's not the miracle of the pregnancy we should focus on with Mary. It's Mary's courage and strength and joy, Lindsay Paris Lopez says, in a time of utter vulnerability that is indeed the miracle of Christmas. It is Mary's courage and strength and joy, her motto, her manifesto, her magnificat, in a time of utter vulnerability that is indeed the miracle of Christmas. 
joy in a brave new world. Mary's Magnificat does not exist in a vacuum. It's in this beginning part of Luke that is full of the tensions of John the Baptist's birth and mystery and wonder and chaos. Luke does not begin with Jesus was born in a Bethlehem in a stable, but Luke begins first with a whole chapter of fear and bravery and different manifestos, mottos, mantras, magnificats of hope. Friends, I turn again to my favorite song from Christmas, my Dolly Parton song. Her own manifesto of joy. I'll be fine and dandy. Lord, it's like a hard candy Christmas. I'm barely getting through tomorrow, but I won't let sorrow bring me way down. The Magnificat is a manifesto of joy and wild bravery in the face of a society that wanted to do away with Mary. As we approach, as my communications director has this premonition, a year of untold chaos and potential political danger, we must begin now our manifestos and our mantras, our own magnificats for the wild and the untamed love of community and God. Amen.